0: Well, the grace of the Lord be with you all. Good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Paul Elliott, and I'm here to talk about uh, Jesus' healing of the man born blind. And this is a really interesting story for a lot of reasons. You see, there's different people who react to this man and this healing. You see the disciples reacting. We see the the neighbors reacting. We see the Pharisees reacting. And all these people have a problem. All these different groups have a very similar problem. They're looking at the world in a very narrow sort of box. Like, this is how the world works. These things are true. And now we have a data point that doesn't fit in our box. This man or this man's healing just don't fit into our box. And so we're going to try to find some way to force it all together and not have to change the way we see the world. Happens with the disciples first. The disciples see this man and they have a problem because the disciples have this idea that people who suffer great consequences must have done something really terrible. Right? If you've done something wrong, then you suffer consequences. And blindness is a particularly bad thing to happen to you, especially blindness for your entire life. And so obviously, this blindness is a sign of a deeper spiritual blindness in this man, right? But there's a problem. There's something that doesn't fit in their box. How could this man have done something so terrible? He was born this way. This is a puzzle for them. How could this man possibly, could he have sinned in the womb? Is there something that a fetus can do so terrible that you have to be blind for your whole life uh, as a punishment for it? Maybe. Or maybe his parents sinned, and God's punishing him for what the parents did. Maybe. And so, you know, if the disciples were a little smarter, they would have thought of Ezekiel 18, which very clearly says that you are not punished for your parents' sin. People are only punished for their own sins. Also, even smarter, they would have thought back to the book of Job, where Job's friends had the same argument who were proven wrong. But The disciples say, Jesus, help us fit this in the box. Why is this man born blind? And Jesus says, you're wrong about all of these things. He says, this man was not born blind because of sin. But instead, Jesus reveals that God is going to glorify himself and bring his light by what happens to this man. This man's life serves a beautiful purpose. So Jesus goes to the man and he heals him in a very, very earthy way, like literally earthy. He spits on the ground, makes a little bit of mud, and wipes it all over the man's eyes. They tell him, Go to the pool over there and wash your eyes. So the man goes and he washes his eyes, and he experiences something he's never experienced before a sense he never had before. He sees light and color and shape, and he, he can see. And yet he's not yet actually seen the face of Jesus because Jesus has left while he was doing this. So the man can see, but he doesn't even know anything about the man who helped him, only that his name was Jesus. Well, now we have the second group having to interact with this man, and that's the neighbors. The neighbors have seen this guy all the time, right? He's always on the corner begging. They've thrown coins to him regularly. And so the neighbors see this and this not fit within their box, right? Because their box says, no one is ever healed from lifelong blindness. I mean, there's a couple of very rare cases maybe of someone having you know, become blinded later in life than recovering. For example, in the book of Tobit, it describes a man who's healed from blindness this way. But even that's extremely rare. But no one, no one has ever healed from congenital blindness. That's just impossible. That is impossible. It does not fit inside the box. So you say, maybe it's a different guy. Maybe he just looks like him. But the man says, no, 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 it's, it's me. It's totally me. You know, So they don't know what to do with him, so they send them to the authorities. So the authorities now, they have their own box, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, their box is the traditions that have been handed down from the fathers. They believe these traditions that are hundreds of years old, they believe they're thousands of years old, come from Moses himself, they say. These traditions tell us how to understand the Bible, and they can't see the world outside these traditions. And so the traditions don't help them here. Because on the one hand, their tradition says God will only do miracles for a righteous man. And this is an impressive miracle, right? The first time ever someone has been healed of congenital blindness. And so if only righteous people get miracles, and Jesus does this incredible miracle, that must mean Jesus is incredibly righteous. But wait a second. Their tradition also says that you may not do work on the Sabbath, And they define exactly what this means. The rabbis had a list of these are the things that constitute work. If you do any of the things on this very long list, you have broken the Sabbath and you are an unrighteous man. Well, Jesus has done this twice now. Earlier, Jesus healed a lame man on the Sabbath and then commanded the man to pick up his bed and carry it home. Well, on the list it says you may not carry a burden in a public place. That is, on the list, Jesus told the man to break the law, therefore Jesus is not righteous. Well, here, Jesus made mud out of saliva and dirt. Well, it says in the list, you may not knead dough. And they say, well, this is basically the same thing as kneading dough, you know, making the mud. Jesus has broken something on the list, therefore Jesus has broken the Sabbath, therefore he is not a righteous man. Perfect logic, right? They never once considered that maybe their traditions are wrong. Maybe their assumptions don't work. But here, some say, well, the tradition says Jesus has to be a righteous man. He healed a blind man. Some say, well, he has to be an unrighteous man because he broke the Sabbath and they can't make up their minds. So they interrogate the man some more. The man gives them the same answers. I don't know how this happened. I know I was blind. Now I see. Well, they go interrogate the man's parents. They say, hey, is this really your son? Yeah. Was he really born blind? Yeah. Can he really see? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't help. They go back to interrogating the man again. They're going to keep doing this until they find something, something that can prove that this wasn't really a miracle, something that proves that this wasn't really a miracle because a miracle will not fit into their box. Well, they finally get so frustrated with this man who just keeps insisting, I don't know what happened, I didn't know, I was blind, and now I see. That finally they just say, you were steeped in sin, you uh, reprobate. Basically, they just basically say, they call them names. This is when you've lost all ability to argue coherently. You just start calling names. And so they kick the guy out and say, you're not welcome here anymore. They can't see outside of their narrow traditions, their narrow box. And it makes you wonder what narrow traditions, narrow boxes have we built for ourselves? What parts of our culture have we kind of absorbed without even thinking about it? That we don't even consider the assumptions, we just assume it has to be true. Like maybe we've absorbed uh, the tradition that we should look for personal fulfillment in all of our relationships. Anyone uh, have felt that before or never thought about it? Like, you know, this this relationship is giving me something positive, therefore I will keep nurturing it. And this relationship, this relationship's garbage, I'll, I'll see, seek a better one. Well, have you ever considered that maybe the the assumption's all wrong, maybe that actually looking for your personal fulfillment in your relationships is actually poisoning those relationships. Or maybe you've absorbed kind of the assumption that you have to work hard. You have to work hard in order to build up a life for yourself. You have to work hard to build up security. You have to work hard to get all the status that everyone else has. You have to work hard to make your God love you. You got to work something, you ever wonder that maybe all of that work has just made you a slave to those things? That you've just become a slave to your security, a slave to your status, maybe even a slave to trying to please God in ways that will never please him? These are the kind of things we just kind of absorb without even realizing it, that become part of us, and we never stop to question, is this really the case? Well, these Pharisees, this will ultimately come to its ultimate conclusion when Jesus rises from the dead because that does not fit in their box. When Jesus rises from the dead, they have the facts. They have the same facts we have. The facts that Jesus said he was gonna rise from the dead. The fact that Jesus died, and they were very, very sure of this. They stabbed him in the heart to make sure he was dead. Very sure that he got buried in that particular tomb. They sealed it, they had armed guards guarding it, and also very, very sure that tomb was empty on that sunday morning those are the facts that they had to deal with and now they're trying to fit those facts into their box and they don't fit and so the only thing they can conclude is well the disciples must have stolen the body as completely implausible as that is right that a bunch of uh, untrained fishermen who run away in fear are going to stage the heist of the century and that not only would they do this but then they would insist that Jesus rose from the dead even after everyone hates them and rejects them for saying this. That these men would all die either violent deaths or die in exile because of what they said and that none of them changed their story. None of them backed down. All of them to the very last, even under torture, people will say anything under torture, even under torture, insisted that Jesus rose from the dead. But they can't accept that possibility. They have to keep it in the box. And so we see that our greatest enemy is ourselves, that human beings have this amazing ability to get in our own way, amazing ability to refuse to see the truth, refuse to open our eyes, that we are blind. And you might hear all this and start wondering, is it even possible to believe? How can anyone possibly believe? And it is true, to get out of your own way, to believe is impossible but our God habitually does the impossible. Our God can open the eyes of a man who can never see from birth. Our God can raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Our God can even open up our blind eyes so we can see the truth. And as I look at you, I see a bunch of people who, whose eyes have been opened, people who are blind but now see. And the amazing thing about this is it's, it's the lowliest and the least that are the quickest to see. The man born blind, this is a man who had no pretensions. This is a man who didn't think of himself as someone special. This is a man who was just a beggar sitting on the side of the road, opening up his hands, hoping for food that day. And for him, his cup was totally empty, and Jesus came and filled it up. The Pharisees, their cup was full of muck, and they had their cup dumped out first. My people, pray that God would keep Uh, you empty of all that muck. Pray that he would uh, prevent that muck from accumulating so that your cup is empty and you are ready to be filled. That you do not have these pretensions that you know everything. These pretensions that your assumptions are correct. But rather you're ready to open your ears. Open your ears to the, the evidence of the resurrection. That the tomb was empty on that Sunday and even his enemies had to admit it. The Simple fact that you have received the waters of baptism. Just like that man's eyes were washed in the pool of Siloam. So you have been washed in the water. There are witnesses to this fact, and there's an objective truth that you were baptized. Know the promises of God, which stand as objective truths, things that cannot be uh, taken away from you. But God has firmly said he loves the world. And are you part of the world? then he loves you. These are the things that we can stand on. These are the things that give sight to the blind. These are the things that are a light in this world of darkness that shine through all of the things that get in our way, all the things that would prevent us from loving him. And like that blind man who was not seeking Jesus, but Jesus sought him. So our God has already reached out and sought you. He has grabbed a hold of you and he will hold on to you to the very end. And so... My dear people, think of yourselves as that poor, blind, wretched beggar. That all you know is that you were blind and now you see. All you know is you were dead and now you are alive in Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.